Welcome to the Mill Creek View, Tennessee podcast with your host, Steve Abramowitz, editor-in-chief of the Mill Creek View newspaper. Howdy, y'all. Welcome back. I am Steve Abramowitz, and this is the Mill Creek View podcast. We are focusing on the volunteer state and our nation today with always an interesting person making a positive change in our community. Today, we are live one more time from NRB at the Opryland Hotel in Nashville in a quiet corner, hopefully. Uh, more about that later. Uh, this time with special guest, John Miller. Welcome to our People in the News, where I interview people who are making an impact and are lovers of truth. Today we are talking with John Miller. John was born and raised in East Detroit. Sorry about that, everybody. Went to high school in Florida and University of Michigan, Wolverines, where he edited the Michigan Review. After graduation, moved to D.C. and worked at the New Republic and wrote his first book, The Unmaking of Americans. In 1998, he joined the staff of the National Review. He's interviewed the president in the Oval Office, visited NORAD in the Cheyenne Mountains, and wrote another book, Our Oldest Enemy, A History of America's Disastrous Relationship with France, and another, A Gift of Freedom, How the John M. Olin Foundation Changed America. He's a contributing editor of Philanthropy Magazine, writing about foundations. His first novel, The First Assassin, a historical thriller set in 1861 Washington and the Big Scrum, Theodore Roosevelt and the Birth of Football and the Polygeist King, a true story of murder, lust, and exotic faith in America, sold exclusively on Kindle, a story of violence, fanaticism, and conspiracy. Check that out. In 2010, John founded the Student Free Press Association, which is best known for its higher ed news website, The College Fix, assisting journalism students to launch careers in media and still on the masthead of the National Review. Uh, Hello, John. How are you today? I'm well, Steve. How are you? I am doing great. Thanks so much for coming on with us. Uh, It's been an honor. I have been trying to get this podcast for a long time with you. So thanks for finding time and coming on here. Uh, first of all, tell us about the association, uh, and we'll get into all kinds of stuff about you today. Well, we're best known for the College Fix, which is a which is a news website covering higher education, and our slogan is that we break news every day and we launch media careers. So we're trying to do two things. The first is to tell true stories about what's really happening on our campuses right now: stories of of cancel culture, stories of uh, DEI, of administrative bloat, of, of you name it, stories that you're not seeing in a lot of other uh, media sources, the so-called mainstream media, which is a, a term I don't like to use but uh, 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 because, because it no longer exists, but, but one that people understand. So we're trying to break news every day on higher education. The other thing we're doing is we're working with student writers, student reporters. We're getting them to tell the stories, working with our team of editors who are professional journalists getting these young people to, to learn the tools of journalism, the skills of journalism, the art of journalism, to do the investigations, write the stories, and then publish them on our website. So we have student contributors doing our breaking news. And, and what we're trying to do is, 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 number one, tell the stories on our website. But then, number two, 
identify promising young talent and encourage them into professional media careers. Because if you're upset about the quality of the media in the country, if you worry about liberal media bias, among other things, one of the biggest reasons we have that is not enough conservatives and libertarians are going into the profession. And so we're trying to identify them when they're young, show them uh, how to do this career, that's an exciting career, and then and then help them into it. I think that's fantastic. It's like the ultimate internship. I, I, I love it. I get to do it for real. And it's what better time than now when our education system is kind of a mess. We've done a lot of shows on it. Um, Great Books Podcast. So this is crazy. I, I just met Kristen Ann Hall yesterday here at NRB in Nashville and interviewed Karen Bracken yesterday, last episode uh, also, who is hosting Kristen Ann here to speak in Mount Juliet Saturday. And you just had her on your Great Books Podcast, I believe February 13th. Uh, she's a PhD in 19th century literature from the University of Texas. So why not, right? Tell us about that. So... At National Review, I have several responsibilities, but a major one is this weekly podcast, which is called the the Great Books Podcast. It's a it's a weekly thirty minute or thirty minute plus conversation with scholars about a work of literature that that they love. and And, and I've been at it now. Well, we we do it once a week, and we're beyond three hundred episodes. So we've been at it for for a number of years. And uh, across across these episodes, we've done, you know, a bunch of Shakespeare and and Jane Austen and 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 Mark Twain and and so on. So I'm always looking for for new shows and new ideas. Uh, and, and 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 with uh, Shearston, she's she's an expert on 18th century literature. She was recommended to me by uh, a, 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 a frequent guest on the program. Uh, who, who's a Hillsdale College English professor? She said, "You ought, you ought to check out this this young lady." So uh, there, there was a there was a particular book I'd wanted to do called called uh, well you, you you know it's a famous one called called Robinson Crusoe. And I was looking around for for a good guest and someone who I go to for this kind of thing said, "You know, a better person is Shearson Hall." And so so we did a show on that, and then I had her on just again. She did she did a show with me earlier this month that dropped earlier this month on. On Samuel Johnson, the the witty uh, English uh, writer from from the uh, the 18th century, so she was a great guest, and 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 it's a show that just goes on and on. Uh, uh, we 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 keep finding new works to to talk about, and um, um, at some point, some point we might run out of topics. There there are only so many great books, but but we're going strong uh, a number of years into it. Not so sure about running out of books. I, I most of my book reading comes from the late 1900s. Um, but you just had a show with her about Racial by Samuel Johnson. I didn't read Racial. How'd that show go? It was great. She is. It's a. It's a. Um. Um. I, I want to do a show on Samuel Johnson, and to do to do a show, you, we need to come up with a text. The, the, it's the Great Books podcast, so we need a. We need a. We need a text and. And uh, I proposed this uh, Samuel Johnson. She she said she's what about this one? And it's it's a famous uh, short work. It's <laughs> it's not quite a novel, although it feels like a novel. Kind of a morality uh, play uh, that 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 he wrote has some fantastical elements. But it's about you know how to live a good life and 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 so forth. And so we had a good conversation about that. And she she knows she knows it backward and forward, so she could she could introduce it to our. To our readers, our, our listeners, which is which is what so much of the show is doing, saying, "What is this work? 
why is it significant? Why is it worth uh, your attention? And 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 maybe even you know maybe even want to read it. So so she's a she's a good teacher on this subject, and that came across well in in the show. Very cool. So which do you like more, covering classic literature with brilliant guests like Christiane, or covering college madness with college <laughs> fix, or politics for National Review? You're everywhere. Well, I, I I I do a lot of things as a journalist. So so at National Review, a lot of it, my writing is is about politics. It's it's uh, political uh, elections, candidates. Uh, that that's a lot of the work. I do some cultural writing as well. I do a couple of podcasts, including the Great Books podcast. Um, and then and then of course with College Fix, I'm involved in in in, in breaking campus news. So it's it's a lot of different things. Although there are there are there are correlations, right? I mean there are there are there are the connections you can draw here about uh, with the Great Books podcast. You know we're we're trying to provide a a kind of education, a kind of liberal arts education. And unfortunately, you can't get at a lot of colleges anymore. They've 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 stepped away from. From the great books tradition and and so much of what they do, even in English courses, is is ideological and it's about politics rather than about art and beauty and and and, and truth and so forth and, and and appreciation for this amazing heritage that 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 we have that's worth studying. It's it's, it's controversial. It's contested. There's lots to argue about. It's an amazing uh, a thing to 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 study and. And so uh, our colleges have stepped away from that. And in the College Fix, we, we try to report on that as much as possible, say what's really going on in, in the classrooms. What are the professors really saying? What are they teaching? What are the speakers saying? All of that. And then, and then separately with this great book, books podcast, I'm, 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 I'm trying to, I guess, be a teacher and, and, or, or, or bring great teachers onto the show and ask them a bunch of questions about uh, – about about works of literature and why they matter. So just just this year, we, we finally got around to the Iliad. You know, it's kind of the foundational great book. When I when I was a freshman at the University of Michigan, my first class on day one was was great books, and the first thing we looked at was the Iliad. We took you know three or four weeks to go through it. Uh, it took me more than three hundred episodes to get to the Iliad on on the Great Books podcast. Uh, finally did it. So we 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 did that one. We. Um, um, we have lots of good ones coming up, so so it's a it's a it's a there, there, there's so much to talk about. Who who was the president that you covered in the Oval Office? I, I mentioned in the intro, uh, George W. Bush. So so I spent 20 years in Washington D.C. Most of that time writing for National Review, and and it was a Washington-based uh, political writer essentially covering Congress, covering D.C., covering this and that. And we had an opportunity, uh, a number of us National Review, to go do an off-the-record interview with President Bush. And this was in uh, late 2003. So the, the war in Iraq uh, had, had been underway for, for, for many months and, and, and was, was uh, troubled. We, we, we knew that, but, 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 but ongoing. And Bush um, was was starting to look toward his reelection and in the, the following year. And and he wanted to he wanted to meet with National Review and do an off the record meeting, and answer any questions we had. And, you know, we we weren't we weren't allowed to report on it. And I still won't say what what happened in that conversation. But I but I can say we did it. And number one, what an honor it was to to just sit in the Oval Office. I mean, it's it's such an iconic room space in 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 the american imagination there are you know millions of people who work for the federal government and never get to sit in that room there are millions more americans who 
you know, do a White House tour, but never get to gaze into that room. And I got to sit down in there for an hour and talk to the president with with my colleagues, of course. And it's it, it, what an honor just to do that. Um, um, forget the content. I remember walking in and like, think, you know, looking around and thinking, well, yep, it is an oval. <laughs> and, yeah. you know, it was the first thing I wanted to confirm and and so on. But but um, but it was a great opportunity to 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 meet the president, to uh, learn a little bit about what he was thinking, what he was doing, his ambitions and how, how he was thinking about some of his problems and uh, and so forth. And, you know, what's the purpose of an off the record interview? Well, it, it shaped, you know, it helps us understand him and what he was about. And, and the idea is it helps us, you know, the, the idea would have been it would have it, 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 it helps us with our reporting at National Review as we try to interpret uh, the world and and the nation for for our readers. So as you apply that to uh, the education business, let's just call it. Um, he's of course responsible for Leave No Child Behind, Common Core. What is your assessment of him and his legacy for education? Well, that's that's a big question, and and our, our work at our work at the College Fixes is not K twelve, which is what Leave No Child Behind and common core and all that is so so that's that's not something we really focus on we're, we're doing we're doing higher education almost exclusively um you know having said that i I'll, I'll give him credit for trying to have more accountability into the k-12 system have to make sure that 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 there was more accountability attached to the federal dollars that that, that the federal government sends to the states and so forth but of course common core was enormously controversial and and i think he made some fundamental political mistakes trying to trying to uh, uh, work with Ted Kennedy, for instance, early in his term to have an education bill and ultimately change nothing. Um, I'm not sure that I'm not sure the problems of K-12 education are, are, are fixable from Washington. Um, you know, Washington does have a role. It wants to have a role. You, you, you can't really ignore its role. Um, but uh, uh, there's only so much it can do and, and, and spending more money and, and issuing new regulations and orders um, really aren't going to aren't going to aren't going to touch it. Right. And of course, the one thing all college kids have in common is they are products of the K through 12 system some way or somehow. So they don't yeah. whether it be public or private. All right. So um, way back when you wrote five rules for writers, John Miller, January 13, 2018, uh, John J. Miller of NR and Hillsdale has some suggestions for people who would like to read better. When in doubt, start with when. Show don't tell. Omit needless words. Inspiration comes from work and sleep on it. Still agree with all of those all these many years later? Yeah, so, so you know, my, my in, in, another one of my jobs, and in fact, my main job is uh, I run the journalism program at Hillsdale College. And and that means several things. But one of the things it means is I, I, I teach writing courses. And so, so I think a lot about how to help young people become better writers. And, and uh, a lot of that is just the work, you know, to, how do you learn to write? You write, you, 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 you write, you write more and you, you learn from your mistakes and, and so on. And one of the things I do is just try to provide a lot of feedback when, when students write something and make suggestions and so forth. And, and, and they learn in revision and, and new assignments and, 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 and so on. But a lot of what I have to do is explain ideas and so forth. And and I was uh, that 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 piece you're quoting from um, 
is is from an introduction to a, to a book of my own journalism, a collection of my own journalism that, that that published a few years ago, and I wrote an introduction for it and kind of a discursive introduction that went here and there and went on tangents and so forth, you know, deliberately. And and one of the things I thought is here are here are five rules. I could share five rules with with anybody who's interested in writing. Uh, here they are, and and you just read them. That's 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 what they are. That's what they are in summation. I tried to keep them pretty brief. Uh, the middle one you mentioned, omit needless words, as I think I say in the in the introduction, it's not even mine. I I, I stole that from Strunk White, and the um, um, I cited them, I should say. But but those are the, that's that's their famous. Uh, um, uh, command to to be concise, omit needless words, and it comes from their their famous writing book, uh, The Elements of Style, which I have all my students here read. But those are the three most famous words from it. And in journalism, you you want to be concise. You want to use you know if if you, if you you can if you can write a sentence that's five words instead of seven words, that's what you want to do. So so keep it as brief as possible. Don't waste the time of your readers. Get right to the point. Uh, these are some of the big principles of journalism. So omit needless words. Don't don't say more than you need to say. Uh, save save the time of your readers. Do them do them that service. Um, sleep on it's another another one. You know, it, I always say to students, um, if you can write something, do it ahead of time and 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 go to bed. Wake up the next day and look at it again with fresh eyes. You'll you'll see things that you didn't see the night before. You know, in in in, in journalism often you don't have that luxury. You know, the, the news is breaking. You, you need to file quickly. You can't sleep on it. Uh, you've you've got to write. You've got to write well, and you've got to you, you've got to get it right the first time. But but off, also, you know, that's not always true. And I you know I've, I've spent most of my career at a magazine, and magazine deadlines are generally a little more extended. So you can you can work on a piece for for quite a long time. And the idea of being able to set it aside and return to it, often sleeping on it, is 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 for me as a writer has been essential because um, I oftentimes I'll think this is done. Um, I'm, I'm done. I'm happy with it. It's it's complete and so on. But if my deadline is still a few days away, I'll I'll set it aside and then pull it out again. I always see something new. So so sleeping on it is 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 a, is a good bit of advice. Yeah, in the age of the widely successful Bleak book, or uh, the other thing I know, Hemingway. I think he used to stand in front of a music uh, lectern and, and write maybe three words a day because he was trying to do exactly that, be as minimalist as humanly possible. Well, he, he wrote, yeah, he wrote more than that, but he was he was he was he was um, he, you know concision was really important to him too, and that's that's one of his great contributions is gravity and uh, and so forth, and and that that kind of language it turns out that kind of prose is is more muscular. Um, it's it's more it's it's more energetic. It has a kind of kinetic power to it that 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 long and winding and ornamental and florid sentences and passive voices just don't have. How many ways a great how many ways a great um, model of of good writing? I think. Yeah. All right. Uh, you mentioned Hillsdale College. You have a role there. You know, Tennessee got into a little bit of a local left versus right brouhaha about charter schools that Hillsdale wanted to uh, roll out here in my state. Um, any comments on that? Any thoughts about what's going on with that? Anything to say about that? Well, I should probably the less I say, the better. I mean, that that's a different unit of the college for what it's worth. But I will say in general, um, you know, our, 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 our main business is educating the students who are here on campus with us. But the college also has has another project, which is to improve American education generally. 
and the belief that that uh, we can help do that by working with charter schools and other kinds of academies and suggest curricula and do teacher training and so on. And and so we have a, we have a unit of the college that is dedicated to this to this mission and our services are entirely free. Nobody pays for them. Uh, so so this has generated a lot of interest. People who who think Hillsdale is something to teach the world um, will, 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 will come to the to the to the experts in, in that part of the college and, and get curricular suggestions and ideas about how to do some 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 instruction. And we just started on campus here a new master's program in classical education, which is which is the idea of, you know, how do you, how do we train the educators that are going to lead these institutions in the future? So so Hillsdale College is 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 a, is a it's a um, uh, it's, it's an higher education, of course, but is also thinking very hard about how to have better K-12 education because it all starts there. And uh, if, if we want to keep having great students come to our campus and, and the students who come here really are terrific. But uh, uh, if we want to keep having them come here. We got to make sure we have good K twelve schools, and and that's not just for us; it's for the whole country. But um, um, this is a part of what we do. And so, so I know there's, there's been some interest in Tennessee in in working with Hillsdale College to to, to set up some schools there. And I'm not quite sure what the status of all that is. I, I I do believe there are a few that are that are working with the college right now. And I I know there have been some controversies, um, but. Uh, um, um, but but this 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 is a part of the the college's mission is is to help improve K twelve education. And I've taken some of your online free courses. I think U.S. Constitution and C.S. Lewis, and I'm you know thirty years out of college, so it's still there. And I and I work here, and I've taken some of the online courses, so they're they're really good. And and I would just say to your to your viewers and listeners that uh, if if you're interested in some really great online courses, check out what we have at. At, at, at Hillsdale College. There's a very popular course on the Constitution. There's another great one on Dante. There's another one on A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens. There's a, there are a whole range of offerings. There's, there's some on, on the book of Genesis, the book of Exodus. Uh, there, there's some really great offerings and, and taught by some of the very best teachers here on our campus. That's right. And I know you were being facetious a moment ago when you said control, uh, omit needless words, um, but then you said cited you being such a prolific writer and editor and college fix having the college campus be uh what do you make of the president of harvard claudine gay former and her plagiarism scandal um i think she's the last one we'll see busted for that i gotta believe there's gonna be more well plagiarism is an ongoing problem unfortunately there are there will always be plagiarists the the, the temptation to steal the work of another person and 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 use it without attribution. Uh, there will always be plagiarists with us, and there there have been plagiarism scandals in 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 the past. And well, let's not forget that the president of the United States plagiarized uh, way back when, when he was a senator and running for president for the first time many years ago. A lot of people have forgotten that, but but President Biden plagiarized a, a speech and was caught doing it, and and, and I, it, it it more or less ended his first run for the presidency in the in the 1980s. So plagiarism is is always out there. Now, in this particular case, I actually did look at those examples uh, pretty closely, and 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 she clearly um, took the work of other people. If if you 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 line it up, I mean, what she wrote and what other sources said, it was it was word for word in many cases. And you know, sometimes sometimes you know plagiarism, you know, there there's some judgment calls, you know, 
is this plagiarism? Sometimes you can tell someone clearly looked at a passage and reworded it. Uh, did they cite it properly? There, there are lots of um, there are lots of judgment calls to be made, and and sometimes you'll hear an accusation of plagiarism that doesn't quite hold up. Um, you know, maybe someone just sloppy sometimes. I mean, sometimes, 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 some some just sloppy. You know, you don't you don't do your citation properly, and it was a mistake rather than a, than an act, a, a, a real act of malfeasance. What you look for, though, are patterns. Is this is this happening a lot? Uh, uh, and and just use your you know some you, you wind up knowing it when you see it. Uh, Cla- Claudine Gay at Harvard did it. She she definitely plagiarized. Um, I I saw the the documents lined up next to each other and, and Dr. Carol Swain is right over there and she's pissed. I talked to her yesterday about it. She's not happy about it. She's gonna sue her. Yeah. So it it was it was a clear case of it and and um and so and so she you know she violated rules that that if a Harvard undergraduate violated in, in, in a regular classroom, um, I don't know what they do to you at Harvard, but I know, I know at Hillsdale, it would be an honor code violation and, and, and you, you would, you would suffer a severe penalty for it. I mean, uh, you know, I, I, uh, I think, you know, a first time offender, you, you know, you might not expel them, but, but um, you, 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 you'd have a sanction and a severe, you might flunk the course for instance, and, 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 and have to have to get some additional instruction. So it'd be, it'd be a very unpleasant experience. I'll put it that way. So I don't know how to handle it at Harvard, but I, I, I hope, I hope they have academic honesty panels that, that still take this thing kind of seriously. My, my point is she violated rules that if an undergraduate violated, it'd be, it'd be, it'd be a, it'd be, a, it'd be a pretty bad scene for that undergraduate. So you can't have the leader of an institution like Harvard uh, doing that, abusing her power. And, and, and of course, let, let's not forget what she said and also failed to say in that congressional testimony. Uh, what what an outrage that was! Her, her her simple inability to condemn anti-Semitism, you know, it it was so painfully obvious that she wasn't willing to do that because she didn't want to offend anybody on on the progressive side of politics, and 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 the inability to say a morally clear thing about the outrage of anti-Semitism was just it was it was it was an amazing moment in 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 higher education and um you know there, there were there were three presidents on that panel two of them have lost their jobs now because they, they could not do a simple thing and uh you, you know she lost her job partly because of that but you know remember harvard backed her up after the the board backed her up after she 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 was not able to condemn uh, anti-Semitic harassment on her own campus, her, 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 her refusal or failure to do that. The, the Harvard Board of, of, of uh, uh, Trustees backed her up. She was going to stand. She was going to stand her position. It was it was it was the plagiarism accusation, which came out in the context of that. As people started to look more closely at her record and, and these accusations of plagiarism had, had been kind of percolating for a while. People had known about them. Scholars in the field had seen them before. They were a little bit intimidated to call out the, perf- the, the president of Harvard. I mean, that's 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 one of the most powerful positions in all of higher education to, to level that allegation. You know, if you're if you're some untenured professor at a third rate, you know, school somewhere that, you know, to call out the president of Harvard, my goodness, you'll you could end your career doing that, presumably. But these 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 um, rumors and accusations, they've been kind of swirling around. We now know it, it, it took this it took this special moment last fall when there was an enormous amount of scrutiny on on Harvard and, and this particular president and, 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 and 
you know, and, and, and the record that, that, that caused you to take a close look at these other accusations. You put them together, uh, the, the, the disaster of the congressional testimony, the, the uh, charge of plagiarism, which, which was true. She, she did plagiarize. You, you bring that together and it just became an impossible situation for her. Harvard, Harvard was dealt a, an enormous reputational blow. It still hasn't recovered. There was a story, I think, in today's New York Times about the, the dilemma Harvard still is facing over over what happened and, and the fact, you know, applications to Harvard are down this year um, significantly, like 10 or 20 percent or something like that. Um, that's uh, that's she wasn't she wasn't fired. She was just shuffled over to, you know, a nine hundred thousand dollar a year. Uh, yeah, you know, job. she's she's going to be OK. I'm not saying Harvard handled this brilliantly. Um, it's good she's gone. I mean, that was the right decision. It was, it, it was a mistake to bring her on as president, number one. And then number two, she conducted herself in such a way that she deserved to go. Uh, Harvard still has a lot of problems. And, and these, this, this, they, they would love for this just to go away now. Uh, it, it will not. Uh, the, 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 the problems are, are, it's not just her. The problems are much deeper at that institution. And it's not just Harvard. I mean, we have anti-Semitism on the University of Washington campus, Penn, Stanford, MIT, all over. This is a, this is a deep, yep, this is a deep, deep problem that is not solved by, by one change in leadership at, at one college. How did pro-terrorism get so college chic? I mean, after October 7th, Hamas attacks of Gaza, they kicked off, you know, Milo Yiannopoulos way back when and culture. So they were going after free speech. And this that looks like romper room compared to what they're teasing now. How did terrorism get to be college chic? Yeah, the, the, I mean, the left the left wing takeover of education is is so complete that that any any they, they've just lost all sense of moral direction moral compass and 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 you know the, the it's a cliche but you know the, the lunatics are running the asylum and and they've they've a lot they've invited this in with their with their progressive ideologies they've 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 they've, they've changed the nature of so many of these places and so you get this kind of stuff and you know i think I think people can, you know, reasonable people can disagree about a lot of things, including uh, the conduct of, of that war and the conduct of other war, really anything, you know, but can you have a civil debate about it um, in, in, that doesn't involve shouting down speakers and, and bullying and harassment and intimidation and, and, and so forth? And, 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 yeah, it, exactly. It, it just seems like, you know, can't, you, you, you know, you wouldn't tolerate this. In, in a high school classroom, a good teacher wouldn't. Uh, why do we put up with it at Harvard for crying out loud? Um, but that's that's uh, they, they did at Cal in 1968. And I you know, that's you know, the that, yeah. So 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 it's a it's a it's a it's a gigantic problem. How did it happen? Um, the left has just so aggressively taken over this and in, these institutions um, that that now they 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 have they have no moral compass. I pray we don't get into a Kent State kind of situation, but the way the, the enforcement is happening, they, these presidents of colleges are sneaking out the back door as opposed to confronting them on the stairs or like Ronald Reagan did at the school board level. So, all right. So, you know, I like to tout the most recent year-over-year change percent for news websites. NR is definitely a news website, and I think college faces too. Um, most are down double digits. MSN.com down 25%. CNBC.com, Business News down 20 New York Times down 
five percent. You probably have a lot of trolls that keep that number up. MCView.us, by the way, being a little startup new site uh, dedicated to truth like you, uh, we were up eighty-five percent. Hello, thank you. Um, in truth, is truth in news working at College Fix too? Well, our, 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 you know, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but our, but our traffic is down from what it was a few years ago, and and this is partly a partly a general trend in all media, news media, I should say. Uh, um, uh, there, there, there's a, there's a kind of downward trend, and that's a complicated question about why, and has everything to do with um, everything from uh, uh, social media algorithms, you know, what's popping up on people's news feeds, to um, I think. I think people are just reading less than they than they than they once did. These are all these are all problems, but also just a fundamental loss of faith in all media. If you look at if you look at the polling on this, Americans always have been skeptical of of media, and that includes um, uh, Democrats, Republicans, liberals, conservatives. There's, there's always been a fair amount of skepticism about about the media, and that's a good thing. We should we should treat a lot of things with skepticism. <clears throat> Having said that, uh, the 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 trust in in our basic news gathering institutions has really fallen off in the last 10 years. And while um, among Democrats, among self-identified Democrats, it's remained, it's, 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 it's declined a little bit, but it's, but it's been more or less stable. It's dropped like a rock with, with Republicans who have known about this problem of liberal media bias for a long time. Uh, if, if, you, if you're at all aware as a conservative, you, you see it constantly in, in the media. You've grown up with it. It's, it's almost like you <clears throat> It's it's just it's just ever presence everywhere. You just kind of it's, it's like it's like the terrain in which you walk. But the 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 loss of faith the the has, has just has just plummeted. Uh, the 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 amount of faith um, conservatives especially have have in the media has just plummeted, and uh, they're they're reading it less. They're consuming it less, and there there are, there are good parts to that, and there are bad parts to that. But but that's that's the reality we're in right now. Yeah, a lot of the K through twelve can't read at grade level. Um, a school in Virginia. That's all I said. I didn't pick out which one, but anyone can Google it or duck duck go it. Uh, was just awarded a million dollars of taxpayer money, federal funds, to censor the internet, literally, uh, probably to come after sites like mine and, and yours. Uh, they call us disinformation or Russian bots. Um, on March fourth. A couple days from now, we finally see the UCLA accounting lecturer, um, an accounting lecturer, not political science or something like that, liberal arts. Gordon Klein is his name, is suing for $19 million for being suspended after refusing a request to grade black students leniently. I know you're not a lawyer. Do you think he could win that in California? I have no idea. Yeah, I have no idea, except to say in both those cases you've mentioned, uh, the, the grant to study, quote unquote, misinformation, and also this particular professor's case, the College Fix has been covering all this. And and so so our job is not to decide, you know, is he going to win? Is he going to lose? What are the merits of the case? We're, we're just we're just trying to report the facts. We're going to tell you what's happening. We're doing. Uh, we're just doing straight news on on, on what's happening and, and and trying to tell true stories rather than rather than give an opinion. And, you know, are we sympathetic to this guy? Um, well, we're covering his story. We think his story is worthy. We think his claim is is worthy of consideration. Certainly, an interesting legal case. And if you want to stay on top of it, reading the College Fix is is a good way to do that. Yeah, another story I got from you: a bill making its way to the California legislature could, if approved, pay.
paved the way for free college tuition for black students and other perceived marginalized communities, ACA 7. The bill would effectively allow the governor to circumvent the state's longstanding ban on racial preferences first passed by a majority of voters in 1996 with Proposition 209 and reaffirmed in a 2020 referendum. Isn't that the same as Harvard's law on anti-Asian administration only for whites? Uh, I, if I'm understanding your your, your question, um, uh, yes, uh, the the, the um, um, California, as, as you know, in 1996 passed the California Civil Rights Initiative, and I'll, I'll just I'll just say one of the leaders of that movement was was the president of Hillsdale College, Larry Arn, who was living in California at the time, and that law was was amazing in 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 liberal California, a strong majority of went to the went to the booth and said we would like to remove racial preferences from uh, public university admissions public employment and also public contracting in other words we're not we're not gonna we're not gonna give contracts we're not gonna give admission we're not gonna hire people on the basis of skin color a majority strong majority of Californians in 1996 voted in favor of that which changed a lot of things about the way California does business. There have always been attempts to kind of get around that and so forth, but this was the law and there was an awful lot of compliance as well. The liberals have always hated this. They, they're, they're the bean counters. They want to have uh, they, 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 they want to have racially divided politics. And in 2020, they tried to repeal this constitutional amendment. So they, they, they came up with some language and they thought it would be seductive to voters to, to, to go back to the old ways of racial preferences and, and judging people by the by the color of their skin and, and all that. And, and again, the voters rejected it again. And 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 so they said no twice across across a generation. They said no. But they're trying it again. And they're doing it a different way. They're using some different language, but 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 their objective is the same. Let's go back to a racial spoil system in, in everything we do. I don't know if they're going to be successful this time, but they are trying. They're trying really hard. They will not give up until they succeed. And and I hope California has has the good sense to 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 reject it again. Yeah, well, it sounds like uh, the same way they got Candlestick Park approved in the first place. That took a couple of non, no votes before they just said, ah, we'll do it anyway. Um, by the way, that was written today, yesterday, by Fix editor Jennifer Cabani, who has been on this show, friend of the show, episode 64. Uh, tell us about her, and I'll have one last question I'll have to let you know. Well, Jen's great, and she's the one who said I have to go on this show. So she she, she likes it so much, she said, you got to do this show. So so here I am. It's, it's, it's her fault. Uh, Jen, Jen is the editor of the College Fix, so I'm Thank I'm the Jen. director, which means um, I oversee uh, the organization, which, which in, you know ultimately includes all the news gathering. But I but I do the administrative, the development, um, all sorts of things like that. Jen is the editor. She she is day to day in charge of what happens at the College Fix, coming up with the story ideas, working with the students. She ha- she she oversees a team of editors. Um, and and is there is there guiding our, our our news gathering every single day and and with with um with what we what what we report and publish she, she's a great editor she's devoted to this cause she's she works well with young people uh, a lot of professional journalists have come up through our ranks have trained under Jen and and she she's a great uh, she's a great journalist she's a great 
uh, uh, mentor, a great coach. And um, I don't know what we do without her. But but if, if you like the college fix, if you like reading the news that we post every single day, it really starts with uh, an excellent editor. And that's Jennifer Cabani. Very nice. All right. Well, tell her I said thank you for having me come on because it's been a great show. Very educational. Way back in the late 20 teens, 2018, a young cub reporter wrote for the NR on Nikki Haley. This is you. Uh, the voice of America. As UN ambassador, Haley has emerged as a persistent voice for American global leadership. Nikki Haley has become America's great truth teller at the UN, watching her on the campaign trail and staying in the race after everyone else got out of Trump's way. What do you make of her now staying in the race? She's going to have a very difficult time next Tuesday in her home state. Says she's staying in. What do you make of what's going on with Nikki Haley? So I did a story for National Review, as you say, uh, when she was the, the 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 ambassador, the U.S. ambassador to the United Nations, and 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 she was a very fine ambassador. Um, it, it seemed to me she 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 and and I went and visited with her and spent some time with her at the UN, followed her around a bit, and um and and was there at a, at a, at, a, at a real fraught moment because um. Uh, she she had to veto a UN Security Council resolution that was that was anti-Israel, um, and and was really really putting up a, a a good fight. So she did that job for a little while. I, d- I did a reported story on on who she was and what she was doing, and um, um, uh, at, 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 at this important moment when she was when she was a part of the Trump administration, she then she then left the Trump administration, and and she's one of the few people in my in my view. She's one of the few Trump administration officials who who actually left that administration politically stronger than 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 she did going in. There were a lot of people who who left the administration kind of on bad terms with with the president or with the public and kind of you know their careers tarnished. You know, going into the Trump administration was not always the best career move for for a lot of people. Uh, for Nikki Haley, that's not true. It was actually a great career move. She became uh, she became a national figure. She already kind of was as a as a as a semi well known governor, but this is what launched her nationally and showed that she has the the the, the chops to do diplomacy. Uh, she was she was willing and able to defend America at the United Nations and that 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 den of uh, of, of 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 progressivism and, and anti American attitudes. You know, she went up there and and did all that. She's clearly been ambitious, uh, her, her, her entire political career. And, you know, we, we did a cover story on a national review. I got the assignment number one, because she was an important American official and, and, and was doing interesting things. But number two, we knew she was ambitious. We thought this is a person with a political future. What, what more should we know about her? And now of course she's, she's, uh, she's running for president. And I'll, I'll say, I, I think she's showing a lot of gumption sticking in the race. Um, um, you know, she's eventually gonna have to win something, I, I suppose. But um, um, she's 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 you know, make of her what she will. Um, um, but 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 I admire what she's doing. I think I think she's showing some courage, and uh, uh, we'll see what happens. Well, indeed. All right. Well, thank you very much. We are at the end here. Uh, tell her you do a lot of things, but tell our listeners where they can go to find out more about you and and follow you, maybe social media and, and blogs and such. Sure. Well, the, be- the best thing is go look at the College Fix news website. We've been talking about that. That's that's really um, a big part of, of, of what I do. Uh, go go take a Hillsdale College online course. I'm, I'm not directly involved in those, but they're they're amazing. And, and we have great teachers here and they're, they're great people to learn from. So if you if you want to if you want a great course on, on the Constitution or American history, 
uh, or, or many other things. Just come see what we have. That's that that that's another great way. And if you want to follow me on social media, I'm on Twitter at Hey Miller H E Y Miller, kind of like you're shouting at me. Hey Miller, um, I'm on Twitter, so uh, um, um, go there. Right, and I apologize for that bad Journey impersonation I did at the beginning. I can't sing, but I tried. Uh, we didn't get to talk about born and raised in South Detroit, and there is no South Detroit, but maybe next time. So thanks again for coming on with us, and we will see you soon. Steve, thanks a lot. Hey guys, this is Riley Gaines, a recent graduate from the University of Kentucky where I was a part of the swim team. I'm a five-time SEC champion, 12-time NCAA All-American, and you're watching the Mill Creek View Tennessee podcast. I could use a Jack and Seven right about now, but we still got a show to do, people, so never <laughs> on air, except for that one time I gave Dory Monson a shot. Welcome to the Steve and Steve segment of our show. Producer Steve, what did you think of our guest, John Miller? Oh, I better apply some of his uh, um, <laughs> his tatters to my writing. I tend to be very wordy. My wife says, uh, that's a run-on sentence. I'm like, well, it's good enough for Paul the Apostle. It's good enough for me. But uh, I he, he didn't have an editor. All he had the the one editor. <laughs> I I I was like, I think I'm gonna go back and look at. And it's like, you know, I have written a lot of brevity, a lot of things that are like limited to one minute, limited to two minutes. And then I'm, uh, but I I really understand like that. And uh, boy, he's had his hand in a lot of things. And he's over there at Hillsdale College. And that is a uh, very my I, I get imprims now. I started supporting them again. Um, that's their magazine Prime, that comes in, out. Imprimus, the magazine, yeah, Imprimus. In, yeah, Imprimus, thank you. Yeah. Um, my dad supported him for years and years and years through that, that he used to get that, and he said, Steve, you need to read this, and so, yeah, I've had a little bit of a hand, you know, a little bit of a knowledge and a little bit of a support there, but, um, yeah, it'd be interesting to see what would happen if their college, their high school K-12 through curriculum got into more people's hands. I mean, there's several good homeschooling, but it'd be interesting to see what would happen if that meat and potatoes basic education that they lay lay out in their um, curriculum would get into the hands of everyday kids. I think things yeah, would change. They're not, they're not recreating the real by any means. They are just trying to promote classical education, the same education you and I had growing up that the kids are now being told doesn't doesn't exist. The old people are dumb. You know, so they, you know, they're they're doing something very welcome. That leads me to why I'm here. I am at the network with Christian communicators. Basically, one of the most valuable benefits of attending NRB 2024 is the opportunity to form lasting personal friendships and professional partnerships with fellow Christians. As the world's largest gathering of Christian communicators and ministry professionals, the NRB International Christian Media Convention is where everyone gets together under one roof to talk about advancing the gospel. In about 35 minutes, Donald Trump is going to be here. I've talked to Chris DeGaulle on the Chris DeGaulle, of the Chris DeGaulle Show, one of the early influencers of me doing this show. Todd Starnes of Mighty K Wham out of Memphis, where I'm in talks to appear once a month. 
and um, got Kevin Sorbo. Everyone knows him uh, on episode 155 on to Matt Murphy's show today from the Matt Murphy, uh, Murphy's Law segment of our show. Uh, good time, basically. Last night, Tennessee Senator Marsha Blackburn and Sebastian Gorka spoke at dinner. She talked about her viral video when she went after Meta's Zuckerberg for being uh, the world's largest child trafficking website. Check that out. And Orca said, we're doomed to communism uh, takeover. Happy days ahead, I guess. So <laughs> he's, a, he's, a pet, he's, a, he's a he's a Hungarian. He's pessimistic. But, you know, we, we try to keep it pes- optimistic here. Um, and on that front, AG, Texas, pa- AG Ken Paxton of Texas sues the El Paso nonprofit and accuses it of abiding illegal immigration. Texas Attorney General Ken Paxton is suing a Catholic nonprofit organization that provides shelter to migrants at the U.S.-Mexico border in El Paso after the organization did not immediately turn over client records. Paxton is accusing the organization of harboring and transporting migrants across the border. In a statement, Paxton accused the nonprofit of facilitating illegal entry to the United States, alien harboring, human smuggling, and operating a stash house. No wonder they tried to impeach him twice. The wow. chaos at the southern border has created an environment where NGOs funded with taxpayer money from the Biden administration facilitate astonishing horrors, including human smuggling, Paxton wrote. While the federal government perpetuates the lawlessness destroying this country, my office works day in and day out to hold those these organizations responsible for worsening illegal immigration. Again, that's why they tried to impeach him twice. Yep. Who's received? Remember when friend of the show Riley Gaines went to a college campus and was assaulted and had to hide in a room while the mob came for her? Yeah, I remember that. I remember she telling us that on our sto- uh, on the show, and uh, I was kind of like, "What?" And and uh, wasn't she also? Well, she had to be a, a confronted with some guy's genital- genitalia, I think, too. <laughs> that was another that thing. Her, that is unfortunately her claim to fame. During the championship, she had to <laughs> a race against a man who said he was a woman and still does, and uh, changed in front of all the girls uh, against their consent. Let's just put it that way. Well, anyway, that story was at UK in the in the uh, championships for, for NCAA. This story was on the campus of San Francisco State, my father's home. He'd be outraged. Uh, so an update. Riley Gaines, hostage for ransom, assault investigation suspended by SFSU police with no charges. Campus police say the charges are unfounded after Gaines was held hostage for ransom in April 2023. Gaines reflected on the incident, describing the mob of protesters, quote, they were everything under the sun, she said. Women, men, men dressed as women, women dressed as men, and everything in between, which is why it was so disorienting. These people turned the lights off, flickered the lights for a bit, which I imagined was done entirely strategically, she explained. I was confused and trying to make sense of what was happening. Gaines told Fox Digital News that as she was being assaulted, a female officer, who she said is the same officer who notified her that the investigation has been suspended, approached her and tried to take her to a separate location. Quote, I didn't meet any police before the event, and she was totally unmarked, wearing all black, her face was in a mask, so she comes up to me and says, come with me, I'm the police, and was grabbing me and pulling me, Gaines said. I didn't believe that she was the police because there, there really was no indication that she was, but I honestly didn't really have a choice. Gaines said the officer took her to a back room where she was 
ultimately barricaded and held hostage for ransom for more than four hours. Gates told Fox News Digital that she feels that the suspension of the investigation sets a precedent. Quote, this just encourages what happened to me to happen to other people because the precedent has now been set, she said. We don't see this happening to liberal speakers or to anyone with a disseminating viewpoint to that of my own. We shall see. I think she's right. Wow. What do you think? Uh, uh, it's still, you know, it's one thing to be shouted down. We've heard about this. But to be actually escorted and pushed into an area and not allowed to leave for four hours, um, that is basically being held against your uh, will. That would fall under uh, numerous uh, constitutional and law that you can't be doing. That's basically, like you said, you're being um, kidnapped and held against your um, your will. And you know what? It's interesting. I- not according to the San Francisco Police Department anymore, and we're going to run out of time. So stay tuned for my thoughts of the day. Hey there, it's Kevin Sorbo, and you are so lucky you're listening to me on Mill Creek View on Tennessee Podcast. Thank you, Chris Stapleton. Thank you for your quotes. Uh, no, time for my quotes of the day. Before I share, I want to remind everyone to subscribe to Mill Creek View Podcast. Go to Spotify, iTunes, Rumble, search for Mill Creek View, and hit the subscribe button. And I really hope you like it. Everybody who is capable of learning has taken to teaching. Oscar Wilde. You can't learn to write in college. It's a very bad place for writers because the teachers always think they know more than you do, and they don't. They have prejudices. They may like Henry James, but what if you don't want to write like Henry James? They may like John Irving, for instance, who's the best lore of all time. A lot of the people whose work they've taught in the schools for the last 30 years, I can't understand why people read them and why they are taught. The library, on the other hand, has no biases. Information is all there for you to interpret. You don't have someone telling you what you think. You discover it for yourself. Ray Bradbury, creator of Star Trek. I've learned one thing, and that's to quit worrying about stupid things. You have four years to be irresponsible here. Relax. Work is for people with jobs. You'll never remember class time, but you'll remember the time you wasted hanging out with your friends. So stay out late. Go out with your friends on a Tuesday when you have a paper due on Wednesday. Spend money you don't have. Drink till sunrise. That work never ends, but college does. Tom Petty. Not so sure you should take his advice, but... He said it, and I quoted it. That is it for this episode. Thank you, John Miller, for your dedication to grow the next generation of real journalists and classic education and for reporting the truth the best you can. This is goodbye for now. I'm your host, Steve Abramowitz, editor-in-chief of mcu.us. See you all next week. Peace in our time, and definitely glory to God.
pumpkins at the county fair. They were looking for America behind every turn, flying the very colors that so many love to burn. I'll cruise the countryside. Any views or opinions represented on the podcast are personal and belong solely to the creator and do not represent those of people, institutions, or organizations that the creator may or may not be associated with in a professional or personal capacity unless explicitly stated.